Well, a priest, a minister, and a rabbi decided to see who among them was best at their job. But converting people, that's too easy. Anybody can do that. They, they made the test a little harder. They would go out to the woods and they would see who could convert a bear to the faith. So they go out and they, they gather together some weeks later to share their exploits. And the, the priest, he starts, and with a smile on his face, he, he shares that he went out to the woods and he found a bear. And he read to the bear from the catechism and he sprinkled the bear with holy water. And next week is that bear's first communion. Uh, the minister shares also with a smile on his face, I too went out to the woods and I too found a bear and I preached to the bear from God's holy word and the bear allowed me to baptize him in the river. And finally, it's the rabbi's turn, but the rabbi has no smile on his face. He is bandaged from head to toe and he shares, in hindsight, I should not have begun with circumcision. <laughs> um, that is my one and only circumcision joke. It is really... Hard to find circumcision jokes because it's not a very funny topic, especially for us guys. Circumcision is a very painful thing to think about. But this morning we're going to say a lot about circumcision. Our passage this morning has a lot to teach us about this thing we call circumcision. You can turn there. It's Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first half of Galatians 5. Now, um, circumcision for us in, in this day and age is really just a surgical procedure that uh, parents have done to their little boys. I, I hope you guys don't need me to explain what, what circumcision is. I'm going to trust you know what's going on there. But for us, it's just a little surgical procedure that parents have done for their kids. But for Jews, it's much more. Circumcision is not just a surgery for Jews. About 4,000 years ago, God showed up to a man named Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and God made all of these outrageous promises to Abraham. I will do all these amazing things for you, and we call those promises the Abrahamic covenant. And God said, as a symbol, Abraham, that the Abrahamic covenant belongs to you, I want you and your children to be circumcised, you and your male offspring to be circumcised. So for Jews, circumcision is a sign in their flesh that they are the covenant people of God, that the Abrahamic covenant belongs to them. Well, for 2,000 years after Abraham, circumcision remained a, a painful but uncontroversial part of Jewish life. But all that changed when Jesus came. And he created this thing we call the church that welcomes into its doors both Jews and Gentiles. And in that choice that Jesus makes, all of a sudden, circumcision becomes a firestorm of controversy. Because we were left wondering, how do Gentiles get in the door? How do they become part of the family of God that we call the church? Do they need to be circumcised? Do Gentile men need to be circumcised just like Jews? Well, uh, Paul's opponents in the book of Galatia, the Judaizers, that's what they taught. If you want to be part of the family of God, if you want to belong to what God is doing here on earth, you must be circumcised. You must obey the Jewish law, which includes circumcision. That's how you get in. That's how you get good with God. Now, we, we call that teaching, we call that way of life, trying to earn your way to God through obeying the law, we call that legalism. Legalism is an attempt to earn your way to God through your works. Now, Paul, if you haven't noticed in the book of Galatians, he is vehemently opposed to the lifestyle of legalism. In fact, almost all the book, as we've gone through it, is written against legalism. That's why we have Galatians, Paul's treatise on why legalism is wrong. Paul wants us to understand legalism is a dead-end way of life. 
And so Paul is going to draw that argument together to a summary in our passage this morning. This is really the, the summary passage about legalism that you'll find in the book of Galatians is Galatians 5, 1 to 15. So let's look there, turn to the beginning of Galatians chapter 5 as Paul brings his argument against legalism to an end. Look with me starting in verse 1. Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Paul's using some pretty strong, pretty outrageous language in this passage to convince believers that we should avoid legalism. We should not fall prey to the temptation to live a legalistic life. Now, if we're going to understand what legalism means, we need to do some definition. Let me start by defining for you some things that legalism is not. Okay, so first, what is legalism not? Well, number one, legalism is not the same thing as obedience, Obeying God is not legalism. Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 12, So then, my beloved brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's saying, obedience is good. You should always obey God. That's what God expects. Obedience is a good thing. Legalism isn't. So obedience is not the same thing as legalism. Second thing that's not legalism, effort, hard work. Same verse says that. How should the Christian life be lived? In hard work. You are working out your salvation. You're working out the effects of your salvation. So hard work, hard effort is not legalism. Hard work is a good thing. Third thing that's not legalism, holiness. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, but like the one, like the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holiness is to be set apart from sin, to not give in to sin, to be like God. God expects us to be holy. It is a good thing to seek to set ourselves apart from sin, to be different than this world, to be like God. That's good. That's not legalism. Fourth thing that's not legalism, self-discipline. Paul challenges us in 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Self-discipline is a good thing. Disciplining your body, disciplining your desires for the sake of growing to be more like God, that's a good thing. That's not legalism. God expects us to exercise self-discipline. Finally, number five, good works are not legalism. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, For we are his, that is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Doing good works is what God created you for. Before you were born, God laid out a pathway of good works for you to walk in, good works for you to do to his glory. Good works is not legalism. We're expected to do good works. So if these things are not legalism, then what is legalism? We throw that word around all the time. What does it mean to be a legalist? Well, here is legalism. Legalism is the attempt to either earn a relationship with God or grow in a relationship with God through self-effort rather than through Christ's finished work and empowering spirit. Legalism is all about a mindset, if you notice here. It's a mindset that's focused on me. 
on what I bring to the table, on what I do for God, my effort, my works to earn something from God. Now, there's two types of legalism that are referred to here in this, in this definition. The, the first type of legalism is legalism that seeks to earn a relationship with God through works. I'm seeking to be approved with God through my effort. I want to be right with God through my effort. That's, that's about justification. How is it that we become declared right in God's eyes? How do we become right with God? How, how do we earn forgiveness from God? How do we get to heaven when we die? That's what we're talking about here. Legalists say that you are justified by your works. Maybe faith plays a part. Sure, sure, you can start with faith, but ultimately works is how you become right with God. That's the first type of legalism. We become right with God through our efforts. Now, that type of legalism is outside of Christianity. If you hold to that form of legalism, you can't be a Christian. If you believe that you are right with God, that you are accepted by God, that you are given eternal life through your works, or even through your faith plus your works, you're not a Christian. Because that's opposite of the gospel. The gospel proclaims exactly the opposite of that teaching. The gospel proclaims that we are right with God, not through our works, but through the work of Christ on the cross. God accepts me not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus did. He died for my sins and rose from the dead. In fact, when you look at this form of legalism, what you're really talking about is other religions. If you've studied the other religions in the world, they really all boil down to legalism. Everybody trying to earn their way to God through their works, whether it's keeping the five pillars of Islam or keeping the Jewish law or keeping one of the pathways of Hinduism, they're trying to earn their way to God through works. That's opposite of the gospel. We believe that we are saved not through our works, but through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. Now, if you want to know if you're guilty of this type of legalism, legalism for justification, the easiest way to know is to ask yourself the question, if you die on the way home this afternoon and you stand before God and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer? If your works, if your efforts, if your good behavior, if your church attendance plays any role in your answer, then you are a legalist. You are not a believer yet. Because the gospel proclaims it's not at all about my self-effort. It's not at all about church attendance. It's not all about my behavior. It's all about Christ. The good news is if you answered that question with works, you can fix that right now. You can become a believer simply by setting aside your works, setting aside your good behavior, no longer trusting in your church attendance and just saying, God, I can't earn it. I can't earn my way to you. I believe that I am saved solely based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you still struggle with that question, if you're not sure how to answer God when you stand before him, come talk to me or someone else here after the service this morning. That's crucial that you get that right. Okay, so there's legalism in justification. That's outside of Christianity. But then there's a second type of legalism within the church, within the faith. Legalism for sanctification. These are believers who, who've been justified. They, they've been saved because they've trusted in Jesus as their Savior. But now they wonder, how do I grow closer to God? How do I grow up in the love of God? How do I become more like God? Well, the legalist would say, through your works. You become more like God. You become more liked by God if you do good things, if you put in good effort. That is the lie of legalism. That's the lie that was being taught in Galatia. That was the temptation that was put before the Galatian believers. They were told, okay, you started by faith. That's great. You are now a believer. You're in the church. Now, grow in your Christian life 
through works, through effort. Now, the specific things that they were told to do, legalism for them, how did it play out? Well, the specific things they needed to do were they needed to obey the Jewish law and be circumcised. That's not really uh, what legalism looks like for us. That's not how we express legalism. Here's what legalism looks like for us within the church. Here's how Christians are tempted to earn their way closer to God, to earn more love from God. Number one, by turning gray areas into black and white. It's the first way we express legalism. We take something that the Bible leaves gray, like entertainment. What forms of entertainment are okay? The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. Uh, like drinking alcohol. Is it okay if you're over 21 to drink alcohol? The Bible doesn't really talk much about that. Uh, like how you discipline your kids. Do you spank? Do you ground them? What do you do? Like uh, where do you send your kids? To public school or private school? Uh, uh, do you date or do you court if you're looking for a spouse. Uh, these are gray areas. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure. Well, Christians promote legalism when they turn any of these gray areas into absolute black and whites. When they take something that's a personal conviction and they foist it upon everyone else, they turn these into rules by which they judge whether someone is godly or not. That's legalism. You see that all the time in the church. A second way that we express legalism that I think is far more common, Christians become legalists when they do the right things for the wrong reasons. It is possible to do lots of good things like uh, serving the church, uh, going and working in the nursery, coming to a work project, even giving money in the offering plate, joining a small group. Those are all good things to do, but you can do them from the wrong reasons, wrong motives, and it becomes legalism. Let me give you an example. Is it legalism to have a quiet time every day? Is it? Well, it, it depends on your motive. If you're having a quiet time every morning because you want to spend time with God, because you believe that you need to spend time with God if you're going to make it through the day, well, that's not legalism. That's a good thing. If on the other hand, if you have a quiet time every day because either you believe that God will love you more if you do and less if you don't, or because it makes you a better Christian than the guy next door who doesn't have a quiet time every day, then guess what? That is legalism. Quiet times are a good thing, but you've got the wrong motives. Your motives are legalistic. You are committing legalism because you're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. When we define legalism this broadly, the scary thing is is probably every single one of us has been guilty of legalism. Probably every one of us is either a practicing legalist or a part-time legalist because, man, we struggle with this all the time. How, How often do I do the right thing because I know somebody's watching That's legalism. How often do I seek to honor God because somewhere in my mind I believe that he will love me more if I do and less if I don't? That's legalism. How how often do I feel good about myself? Do I feel like I'm a better Christian than these other people because of how much I do for the Lord? That's legalism. Legalism is so easy to slip into. Legalism, when you you look at Scripture, when you look at the history of the church over the last 2,000 years, I would suggest that legalism is one of, if not the primary temptation for believers. We slip into legalism all the time because it comes so easy to us. So natural to do the right things for the wrong reasons. We all struggle with legalism. The, The believers in Galatia struggled with it. We struggle with it, and that really concerns Paul. Paul is really concerned about how pervasive legalism is because it's no small error. This is no minor mistake to do the right things for the wrong reasons. It's major. It's devastating in its consequences. And so Paul's going to take the next part of the passage, really from verse 2 on, and he's going to lay out for us the reasons why we should avoid legalism. 
This is quite a list. It's eight things. I'm going to cover these pretty quickly. This is this passage is really a list when you look at it in, in terms of how Paul lays it out. He just gives us a devastating list. Here you go. Here is why legalism is really bad for your spiritual health. Okay, let me lay these reasons out for you. Number one, why should you avoid legalism? Look at verse three. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Why should you avoid legalism? Because legalism is a crushing burden. Okay, if you really want to earn your way closer to God, if you really want to earn more of God's love and be a better person through what you do, how much of God's law do you have to obey to get there? All of it. All of it. When people pick and choose commands that they're going to obey to be more like God and be more loved by him, what they don't realize is that the law isn't just a collection of unrelated commands. It's a single unified contractual document. If you submit yourself to any part of the law, you've submitted yourself to all of it. The only way to grow closer to God through your works is to perfectly obey just like Jesus did. If you really understand legalism, you, you see that it is a crushing obligation that no man can carry. And when I was one of the college pastors here at Grace Bible Church, uh, it was interesting. We saw over a period of a few years, there were a lot of Christian guys at A&M who kind of got sucked into this very legalistic parachurch ministry. And this ministry taught them that if you are a true believer, if you are a genuine believer, then you will do A, B, and C, and you will never do X, Y, and Z. And these guys got caught up in this teaching, and at first, they were really passionate about it. Finally, I know how I'm a believer. I do A, B, and C, and I don't do X, Y, and Z. Finally, I know how I can earn God's love, how I can be right with God, how I can grow in maturity. Do A, B, and C, don't do X, Y, and Z. They loved it. That passion often boiled over into pride. Now we know who are the true Christians. We few who are doing A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z, we're the true people of God. All you other people who aren't, you're out. You're not in. So these guys were filled with passion and pride, and and they'd go out and they'd say a lot of things that weren't real helpful to say. Uh, But invariably, a few months later, they'd come back to us. They'd come back and they'd knock on our door privately, nobody else with them. They'd come and they'd sit down on the couch and they would break down in tears because guess what? Sin caught up with them. Over some months of trying to do A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z in their own strength and their own effort, grit their teeth, do their work, finally they broke down. In a moment of weakness, after fatiguing months of trying to keep all these rules and regulations, finally they broke down and they gave in. And the next morning they woke up and they thought, wait a minute, genuine believers, they do A, B, and C, they don't do X, Y, and Z, but I did Z. So what am I? What am I? They, they would be filled with doubt, with despair, with guilt, with anguish. What they came to discover is legalism is a crushing way of life. If you believe that God loves you only if you do A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z, it will crush you. It's an obligation that no man is meant to bear. That's why Paul says in verse 1, Christ set us free from the burden of legalism. You are meant to live in freedom, not under the burden of legalism. God doesn't want you to submit yourself to lists of rules and regulations. That's a life of burden, of depression. God wants you to live in the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased you with his blood. So legalism is a bad idea because eventually it's going to catch up with you and crush you. Second reason it's a bad idea. Look at verses 2 and 4. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. 
And then verse 4, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. Uh, There's three very severe warnings that Paul gives in these two verses. If you choose to head down the way of life, the road of legalism, here are the three results. Christ will be of no benefit to you. You will have been severed from Christ and you will fall from grace. Now, those sound extremely scary. They, they are. They, they sound to a lot of people like loss of salvation. If you become a legalist, you lose your salvation. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. This isn't loss of salvation. What Paul's talking about is loss of the power and blessing of God in your lives. See, the Bible declares to us that God is a really good God. He wants, he desires to fill all of our lives with his joy and his peace and his power and his blessing. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make your life great. He wants to pour his power and blessing and riches into your life. But who gets God's blessings? Only those people who hold out empty hands to him. Only those people who come to God and and say, God, I have nothing to offer you. Please fill me with your power and strength and grace. But this is not the position of legalism. What does legalism do? Legalism is looking in my life and grabbing all I can and offering, God, here, take this. God, take this. Look at what I've done. Take this. Love me because of what I've done. Legalism doesn't receive the blessings of God. It tries to offer our junk to God. Our hands are too full of our junk to receive the blessings of God. Paul's point is if you're trying to impress God and other people through your works, you're leaving no room in your life to receive the blessings and power of God. And that's really bad news. If you don't have room to receive the blessings and power of God, you're not going to live a victorious life over sin. The next reason that Paul gives us for avoiding legalism, verse 7. It says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Uh, Paul uses uh, the language of a race, a marathon race here. Uh, uh, you can picture uh, somebody running in a marathon race. He's running down his lane, and all of a sudden, a, another runner steps in front of him and trips him up, and he falls. That's what, what the picture is here. Uh, Paul's telling us that, that God uh, has established for every believer a marathon race in life. That's what our life is. It's a marathon race where every step of the race we're, we're drawing closer to God. Every step of the race we're becoming more like God's son Jesus. That's what life is meant to be. You're constantly getting closer and closer to God. The Galatians were doing a great job. They, they were running down that race towards the Lord until someone stepped in and tripped them up. Who was that? Obviously, the Judaizers, the legalists. It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. It's the legalists. They stepped up and they tripped them up with legalism. Legalism hinders your spiritual growth. Now, it's, it's actually pretty ironic that the Judaizers stepped in and, and they proclaimed, if you really want to be mature, if you really want to be like God, you do it by obeying the law. That's how maturity comes. The irony is, is you don't get maturity through legalism. What do you get? You get immaturity. Legalism stunts your spiritual growth. Here's why. Uh, legalism leads only one of two ways. Okay, you create this legalistic list. Here are the things that I do to make God love me, to make me better than you. If you're good at keeping the list, what do you get? Do you get mature? No, you get pride. Okay, if, if you're good at legalism, you get filled with pride. That's not a sign of maturity. Uh, what if you create this list and you're doing your best to keep it, but you don't do so well and others are looking better than you? What do you get instead of pride? Not maturity despair. But pride and despair, neither of those are signs of maturity. Both of those are signs of immaturity. If you are living a legalistic life, if you're living a life where you're seeking always to keep a list of rules and regulations, it will prevent you from ever growing up in your faith. It will keep you immature because it only ever leads to either pride or despair. Pride if you're doing well in your eyes, despair if you're not. That's the 
Third reason Paul gives us, fourth reason Paul gives us for avoiding legalism, verse 8. This persuasion of legalism did not come from him who calls you, that is God. The Judaizers claim to be God's servants, God's mouthpiece, speaking for God. Legalism sounds like it's from God, but it's not. God hates legalism. It's never from him. Leads to the next point. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. This is a, a proverb about dough. If you've made bread before, you know, you put a little bit of yeast, you mix it up, and the yeast spreads throughout the whole dough. And Paul's point is legalism is like yeast, it spreads throughout the whole lump of dough. It is contagious. Legalism is contagious. In other words, legalism is kind of like a contagious disease. If one person in the church has it, it's kind of bound to spread if left unchecked. If you look at the history of the church, even just in the 20th century, uh, this has proven true time and time and time again. Churches that allow legalism to, to grow unchecked in their midst, they all eventually die. Sometimes that's through a church split. It's really sad to see churches where uh, you have a few legalists in the pews and they take some gray issue. Maybe it's where you should send your kids to school. And they turn it into an absolute black and white that they impose on everybody else. And all of a sudden it turns into sides, into divisions. You got the public schoolers and you got the homeschoolers. And over time, they become so convinced in their, in their rules and regulations that they call the other side immature. And now they're ready to excommunicate the other side. And all of a sudden the church splits and dies because of legalism. Often it happens more insidiously. Uh, you, you have a few people who are legalists and they, they bring into the church a spirit of pride and competition that they begin to share with others. You see this in churches where all of Christianity becomes about show. How do I show myself to be better than you? Maybe it's I'm going to become a deacon so I can look better than you. Maybe it's I'm going to give more money in the plate so I can look better than you. I'm going to be here three times a week so I can look better than you. You have a lot of churches that are nothing more than a bunch of people getting together for a game of religious competition. They're simply competing with one another to look good. That's because legalism has killed that church. Ineffective because legalism spread. Paul wants us to understand legalism is cancer to the church. If you allow it to remain unchecked in your life and in the lives of others, it will spread. Legalism doesn't just hurt you, it hurts all those around you. It's a communal thing. Sixth reason that Paul has, us, has for us to avoid legalism, verse 10. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Uh, this is short and sweet. If you choose legalism, you will be judged. God doesn't like legalism. It's not from him. When you stand before Jesus Christ at the end of this life for judgment, he will frown upon legalism. That's the idea here. Seventh reason that Paul has for us for avoiding legalism is verse 11. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Here's what's going on here. It's a little bit of a confusing verse. Uh, the, the Judaizers, Paul's opponents, um, they were coming into the Galatian churches and they were saying, hey guys, actually Paul's on our side. Paul agrees that you got to be circumcised, but he didn't tell you because he's holding out on you. He teaches it elsewhere, but he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be part of the cool kids club. Well, Paul's refuting that. He's saying, guys, that's absurd. First of all, if I promoted circumcision, I wouldn't be persecuted by these guys. I'd be a friend of them. And second, if I promoted circumcision like they do, then just like them, I would be guilty of distorting the gospel. See, if you really understand the gospel, you see that it's really pretty offensive to humans. What does the gospel declare? Gospel declares to human beings, there is absolutely nothing we can do to please God. Nothing in myself I can do to please God. That's offensive. Are you kidding me? You're saying there's nothing I can do to even come close to earning my way to God? I don't want to hear that. 
And so these legalists come along and they remove that stumbling block by saying, okay, you need some faith, but you can do some good stuff. You can get more of God's love. You can get more of God's favor through your good works. Legalism removes the stumbling block of the gospel. It distorts the gospel. What we need to realize is is when we practice legalism in our lives, we distort the gospel to those who see us. I I think this is real significant for you parents. I should say we parents because now I'm one. If we are trying to share the gospel with our kids, uh, but then we live lives of legalism, we live lives where, okay, you should have a quiet time because God will love you more if you do. Because that's what good Christians do. That's how you, you be a good Christian. You do this, okay? You don't do that. If you're practicing and if you're teaching legalism, you're distorting the gospel. The gospel proclaims God loves you infinitely because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. So if you're teaching the gospel, but you're distorting it with your actions, your kids are going to get confused. Legalism in our actions distorts the gospel. The gospel proclaims there's nothing we do that can make, us, make God love us more or love us less. He loves us unconditionally and infinitely because of the work of Christ. Make sure that your actions communicate that truth. Eighth and final reason that Paul gives us for avoiding, we'll read the verse four first, uh, verse 12, for avoiding legalism, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is a very offensive verse. It's meant to be. By mutilation, Paul means castration. He is angry when he writes verse 12. You can't tell that. Paul, Paul can become a very angry person. <laughs> Paul's real angry as he writes verse 12. The reason is, is he looks back up this list and he sees seven things that legalism brings and they're all horrible. They're all destructive. And he's angry because these destructive things are happening to these believers that he loves in Galatia. He is so angry that he cries out, it would be better if these men would just go the whole way and cut it all off. It would be better for them, castration, than legalism. Paul's point is, as, as painful and life-altering as castration would be to you, legalism's worse. Legalism brings more pain, more destruction in your life and the lives of others than castration. It's that bad. Paul means to shock us. He is using shocking language to wake us up. Legalism, it looks good to a lot of people. It's no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's worse than castration. Legalism's horrible. Legalism destroys. It is a dead-end way of life. For believers to choose legalism is to head down a pathway that leads to destruction in their lives and in the lives of others. So avoid legalism. Stand firm in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. Don't live under the mastery of a list of rules and regulations. Know that God loves you infinitely. Don't try to earn more of his love. Stand fast. Stand free of legalism. But Paul's not done for us yet in our passage. See, as bad as legalism is, as deadened a way of life as legalism is, there is an equally destructive way of life that many believers choose. I like to think of it this way. In our passage this morning, uh, Paul's telling us that as we walk through life, there's a ditch on our left called legalism. It's, It's a deep pit. It's very painful. But there's also a ditch on our right that's equally painful, that's equally destructive, that we call license. Let me define this for you. The second way of life that is destructive that so many believers choose, the way of license, we find it in verse 13. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. The way of license is all about the flesh, an opportunity for the flesh. We're going to talk a lot more next week about this really significant biblical word, flesh. I'm just going to give you a quick uh, little bit about it today. Uh, often in the Bible, when you see flesh, it's a neutral term. It just refers 
to your flesh, like flesh and bone, what makes you a human being. Um, but in this case, in many cases, it takes a very negative term, tone. It's, it's not just about your flesh and blood. It's about who you are as a fallen human being. Who you are by nature, by birth, as a fallen, sinful human being. And uh, some theological background here. When God created Adam and Eve back in the garden, he created them innocent. Innocent means that Adam and Eve were able to choose freely between good and evil. They weren't bent either way. They could choose to obey God or disobey God. They were innocent. Uh, Unfortunately, they chose what? To disobey God. When they did, they brought corruption to the human nature. For themselves and for all their descendants, their human nature that was created innocent fell into sin. No longer were we equally able to choose good or bad. We were bent from birth towards sin. We call this the fall. We call it the depravity of man. We inherited from Adam and Eve, all of us, a fallen human nature. From birth, we are not basically good people. We are not even innocent people. We are basically evil. We are bent towards sin. That's how our innate human nature is bent, towards sin. If left to ourselves, we will always only choose sin. And that's what Paul's referring to here by the word flesh. It is our sinful, fallen human nature. What we are in our sinful, fallen state. Okay, the, the way of license, what that's talking about is uh, if you are free from legalism, you don't have to obey a list of rules and regulations, there's another option available to you. It's to obey the natural desires of your human nature. This is the person who throws out all the lists and says, I'll do whatever I please. That's the idea of license. You simply do whatever comes naturally to you. You simply follow the desires of your eyes, the cravings of your flesh for for fame and pleasure and prosperity here in life. You're getting anything you can in this life through whatever means, even if that involves sin. You do whatever it takes to satisfy the natural desires that are part of human nature. That's the way of license. We give full vent to sin, full vent to desire. You know, what we should notice is it makes a lot of sense to give it to this way of life. If you really think about it, if you understand the gospel, this way of life, it it makes a lot of sense. Because what do we believe? We believe that because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Completely forgiven. And when we are guaranteed heaven, there's nothing we can do to lose heaven. So when you know that, it's natural to think, well, heck then, why not sin all the more? If I know that I'm going to heaven, why not give full vent to sin? Why not do whatever I want? Whatever makes me feel good. Why not get everything from this life I can? That's a reasonable question to ask. If you really understand the gospel, that's a reasonable question to ask. Why not give in to sin if I know that I'm forgiven and I know that I'm going to heaven? Paul tells us why in verse 15. Why is the way of license a bad idea? He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Paul's point, it's kind of odd language. Paul's point is if you give into the way of license, if you, if you serve, if you follow the desires of your flesh, of your fallen human nature, what will the result be? You will hurt, you will destroy other people. This, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, when, when you give in the license, what are you giving into? You're giving into selfishness. You're seeking to satisfy your sinful desires by whatever means, even if it costs other people. The problem is we live in a world of, of limited resources, don't we? There's only so much to go around. 
But if I'm out there trying to get everything that I can, everything that I want, everything that I desire, I will inevitably come into conflict with you because uh, you have some stuff I want. You're using up some stuff I want. So we're going to come into conflict with one another. When we give in to license, when we give in to our sinful desires, we create conflict with other people. We come into competition with other people. What's really interesting to me, I don't know if this is obvious to you guys, it wasn't to me at first, uh, legalism and license sound completely opposite. In legalism, my whole life is about keeping the rules. In license, my whole life is about chucking the rules and doing whatever I please. Sound completely opposite, and yet the results are the same. In both legalism and license, we hurt one another. In both legalism and license, it all boils down to me. In legalism, it's all about me serving my pride so I feel good about myself at your expense. In license, it's all about me serving my desires and selfishness, even though it costs you. Both of them, it's all about me, and it's always hurting you. So why should we avoid the ditch of legalism and the ditch of license? Because it will destroy us. It will hurt the people in your life. It will hurt everyone around you. These are communal sins. When you give in to legalism, when you give in to the desires of your sinful flesh, you don't just hurt yourself, you hurt everyone around you. Paul is desperate for us to avoid both of those ways of life. Those are lifestyles that are dead ends, lead down into a pit of pain and suffering for you and everyone around you. He wants you to avoid those ditches by walking in the center of the path, that the center of the road, the lifestyle that God has called for us, a third and final way of life that Paul calls the way of love. That's where we want to conclude today. Paul wants us to avoid legalism and avoid license by instead pursuing love. Look back at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If you want to live life as God intended, if you want to live a life that is full of joy and peace and is a blessing to other people, you pursue love. You serve others in love. This third way of life is radically different than the other two. Let me show you. In legalism, I'm serving my pride. In license, I'm serving my desires. In love, I'm serving your needs. What it all boils down to, Paul is telling us, if you live your life with your eyes focused on yourself, either in legalism serving your pride or license serving your desires, you'll destroy yourself and those around you. The only way to live a successful life is to take your eyes off yourself and look at other people. Serve other people in love. Demonstrate the love of God to them. That is the one way that works in life. That's the goal of the Christian life, to love others. It's interesting. Look at the result that Paul tells us. If if we follow Paul's instruction, we avoid the ditches on our left and on our right, and we walk in love. Look at the result. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is an incredibly profound verse. Paul's point is everything that God intended in the law. The law, all these books of the Old Testament, all these commands and regulations, everything that God intended, the heart of the law, is fulfilled in one word, love. It's, it's interesting, actually, if you take the Ten Commandments that are, are hopefully somewhat familiar to you and you put them on a chart, you actually find all of them fit under the word love. 
First four fit under the love of God. Uh, you shall have no other gods. You shall have no idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath. All of those are how we express our love for God. The next six are all about love for our neighbors, love for others. You shall honor your parents, not murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. That's how we love our neighbor. In other words, this is profound. Everything that God intended in the law is fulfilled simply when we love others. When we love God and our neighbor, we fulfill everything that was intended in the law. Here's the incredible irony. These Judaizers, these people are coming in, these legalists are saying, if you really want to honor God, if you really want to fulfill the law, you will obey a list of rules and regulations. And Paul says, no. If you want to fulfill the law, if you want to do what God is calling you to do, simply love Throw the lists of rules and regulations out and simply love one another. When you do that, you fulfill all that God intended for your life. It's an amazing thing. We who live lives of love, we fulfill the law of God, not those who are trying to keep a list of rules and regulations. I think Paul draws his argument to a close, actually, in a couple verses we skipped. Look at verse 5. He says, for we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. In other words, we are are not trying to earn our righteousness. We're not trying to earn our way closer to God. We're simply waiting for God to give us his righteousness through his spirit by faith. We're not trying to earn it. Instead, what are we doing? Verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. That's what life is all about. Not trying to earn righteousness, not trying to earn our way to God, but getting busy loving one another, taking our eyes off ourselves and instead demonstrating love. That is the essence of the Christian life. That's what it all boils down to. Love. Love for God. Love for one another. Okay, next week, I'm going to give you a little hook for next week. License and legalism are pretty easy, aren't they? It's easy to say, I'm going to create a list of rules that I can follow and they'll make me feel good about myself. It's easy also to say, I'm going to throw out all the rules and do whatever the heck I like. That's, that's easy too. Okay, but, but what's not easy? Love. Love says, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to submit my desires, my needs to the needs of other people. Love is really hard. In fact, I would submit to you, love is impossible in our own strength. You can't apply the passage that Paul has given us if it ended in verse 15. If this was the end of the book of Galatians, go home without hope. (laughs) Because you can't do it. You can't walk the path of love. You don't have the strength. So please come back next week because it doesn't end in verse 15. Paul is going to give us the secret to the Christian life. How do you walk in love? He's going to tell us next week. In the meantime, let me give you an application to finish off today. An application that I think is really appropriate for this time of year as we prepare to celebrate Christmas. I want to challenge all of us to look for opportunities to apply exactly Paul's words to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, let me define some terms here. Who, who is your neighbor? If you think about it, who is, who is your neighbor? Well, remember what Jesus taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan? There's this Jewish man, he's beaten, he's robbed, he's left for dead. A priest passes by without doing anything. A Levite passes by without it doing anything. A Samaritan, who, who's a foreigner, who's of a different race, a different class, comes up and he takes care of the man. He bandages and cleans and cares for him. Jesus' point is your neighbor is whoever you can be a neighbor to. Your neighbor maybe lives close to you or far from you. Your neighbor may be like you, same race, same socioeconomic group, maybe completely different than you, it doesn't matter. Your neighbor is anybody you can be a neighbor to, anyone you can share love with. That's your neighbor. I would submit to you in the economy that we're in right now, you have lots of opportunities to be a neighbor this Christmas. There are a lot of people really hurting out there. 
People who are in a different class than us and people who are just like us. Your neighbors may be like literal neighbors in your neighborhood. There's a lot of people hurting. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe their hours have been cut and they can't pay the bills. Maybe they have a health crisis in the family, cancer, a stroke, something like that. Maybe they're going through a crisis in their marriage. Maybe their ailing parents are moving back in with them. Maybe they have a a wayward child. There are a ton of people around you who are in desperate need. Maybe it's some of you who are in desperate need. Okay, let me give you some practical ways that you can be a neighbor to a person in need this Christmas. Number one, I, I would challenge you to look for opportunities to give. There's a lot of just plain financial needs out there. There's a lot of people who can't pay the bills right now. Uh, I think probably the coolest way that you could be a good neighbor to them is anonymously. Go out and get a gift card to Kroger's or Target or Walmart and send it to them with no return address on the envelope. Or or leave it in a little gift package on on the doorknob of their house. They go out and all of a sudden 50 bucks to Kroger's. You've just met an incredible need. So, so give to someone who is in need this, this Christmas holiday. Uh, second, look for opportunities to serve. Christmas is so busy. There's so much to do. Do you realize that there's some families out there who don't have any time to do any holiday stuff? They're so busy taking care of whatever crisis is going on. They can't shop for presents. They can't wrap them. They can't cook the dinner. Maybe you can. I, I know we're all busy, but I, I challenge all of us, carve a little bit of time out of your schedule to go serve somebody. Maybe, maybe you'll go get their Christmas list and go do their shopping for them. Maybe you'll wrap their presents for them. Maybe you'll cook a dinner for them. Or maybe you'll babysit their kids so they can go shopping. Do something for someone that is in need, just needs time, just needs service. Third way that we can uh, be a neighbor to others is, is we can welcome them into our homes. Now, Christmas, the holidays, that's a time when we get together with our people, our family, our friends. Uh, that's good. That's a good thing. Let, let me challenge you, though. One of the meals that you're going to have this Christmas season, uh, let me challenge you to expand your circle a bit. Just one, You don't have to do it all Christmas season, but one of the meals, expand the circle, invite someone in you would never invite. Uh, two groups in particular to look for are international students. Who are they going to go have a Christmas dinner with? Their, their families are, are, are on the other side of the world. Maybe you could invite them over, their kids, their, their spouse for, for a Christmas dinner. Uh, look also for people who are new to our town. And it's hard when you move to a new town. There's people who move here all the time, particularly for the campus. They're far away from their loved ones. If you have somebody new who's moved into your neighborhood and they're not like from Bryan College Station, why don't you invite them over to your house sometime this holiday season? Fourth thing we can do to love our neighbors, most significant one, is share Christ. The greatest thing that you have to give is not your money, and it's not your time, and it's not your food. It's the gospel. Look for opportunities this Christmas season to share the greatest news, the news of what Christmas really means, with someone who doesn't yet know. Ultimately, all those first three are looking for opportunities to do that. You're walking into your home so that you can bless them, but also so you can share the gospel, because that's what it's all about. Let's pray for the Lord's help to be great neighbors to others this Christmas season. Lord God, thank you so much that you are the author of love in our lives, that uh, it wasn't us first loving you or first loving others, it was you who first loved us. Thank you so much that you showed us infinite love by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and rise from the dead. And Lord, I just want to take a moment and pray. If there's anyone in this room who, who hasn't yet received the gospel, uh, who is still trusting in their works and their church attendance and their good behavior to be right with you, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to see the dead end that legalism is, uh, to see the good news of the gospel, to let go of their works, of their, of their good behavior, and instead just simply believe that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead, and that's all that matters. I pray, Lord, that this would be the day of their salvation. 
Pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you would convict us of areas of legalism in our lives. Help us to see where uh, we are practicing legalism and convict us of that and change us. Lord, I pray that you would transform us and help us uh, to do the right things for the right reasons, to do them not to earn your love, not to keep your love, not to look like good Christians, but because we genuinely want to, Lord, because we genuinely want to please you and, and we want to do what you've commanded. I pray, Lord, that we would do the right things for the right reasons. Pray, Lord, that above all else, that we would love that we would love you, that we would love those around us. I pray that this Christmas would provide many opportunities for each of us to share your love with someone in need. Thank you so much for all that you've done. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, come back next week and we'll share the solution to the problem of love.